welcome to the show, everyone, and I hope you're having a wonderful Friday afternoon. And welcome to Let's Talk About It. This is Susan Johnson, and I'm here with Brenda Bookbinder, who is uh, doing great things in our community, uh, working on Wyndham uh, to save our health care for uh, all over the region with respect to the uh, Boost Group. So we're really, really happy to have her on the show. And we're going to talk about Mother's Day, right, Brenda? Thank yes, we are. On the show. All right, Brenda. And you did a little bit of... Uh, little bit of uh, work here on uh, trying to make sure that we have, um, uh, you know, a little history about Mother's Day. Yes. Uh, uh, good afternoon, uh, community and Susan. Uh, and for all those who are celebrating Mother's Day, whether it's a birth mother, whether it is an adoptive mother or a grandmother that's helped rear children, we honor you today with our program. Uh, we are proud to be in Willimantic and in the Wyndham area, and um, we have just sent out a uh, Mother's Day proclamation across the media of the state and our government officials, um, declaring this the third Mother's Day without a maternity unit at Wyndham Hospital. And we remember that on June 20th, in the throes of the pandemic, without a vaccination, our maternity unit was abruptly closed. I wanted to read some of the statistics from our proclamation. Yes, please do. I think Wyndham that would be County excellent. for last year, 2022, was ranked the state's number one distressed municipality. And so the amount of suffering in our community is palpable, it's real, and the solution to that is not taking away services but restoring and enhancing them. Uh, we also have the highest comorbid health conditions in the state. Mm-hmm. 53. And that's, that's yeah. really an important factor that you're bringing out there because of the highest comorbidities in the state with respect to maternity. That is one of the things that we really have to be uh, concerned about, and uh, that is uh, a real problem. Uh, that is something that's nationally known, but when we have that kind of, a, that kind of data here in, in this region, that's very, very important to keep an eye on. Yes, it is. And then we have our civil rights issue because uh, Wyndham's women and families are 53% women of color. Yes. And we know that um, women of color have between two and three times the maternal death rates as Caucasian women giving birth. Yes. Uh, we have also um, lost our services at Wyndham Hospital, not only the delivery of babies, but the Lamaze classes, yes. La Leche support, sibling visits. <laughs> Dinner for the new parents, visiting nurse, access to extended family, connecting mothers to key supports and programs before returning home with a newborn. Um, we've had at least 60 emergency room births delivered by a nurse that the mothers and babies are not allowed to stay at Wyndham. They're put in ambulances or Lifestar helicopters and taken far away. So a newly born baby and a mother very close to postpartum will be transported away from Wyndham talk about stress. That's uh, right. Yeah, and since 2020, since the closure of the unit, mothers in labor have had to travel miles on secondary winding roads in ambulances to deliver their babies outside of Wyndham as well, some on the side of the, the road. Uh, our C-section rate in Wyndham County has gone to 34 percent, and um, that ranks around the states of Mississippi and Louisiana. That's pretty bad. It's, yeah, it's pretty are, bad, yes. It's pretty, and that's not the kind of reputation that I think that 
Connecticut uh, prides itself with. That's correct. Uh, the governor has asked for a birthing center model, and birthing centers certainly would be helpful in Willimantic Air Wyndham area. However, 80% of births are simple births and handled very successfully at birthing centers. 20% uh, are high-risk births, and they would go through the same risks that we're talking about this afternoon. Uh, exactly. I have that experience. I have a first grandchild that was born in California in a birthing center. And, I didn't know that. Yes, indeed. Yes. It was a three-hour experience. She was allowed to, to birth in a water tub, and uh -huh. she stayed an hour and a half after, and they all went home. Two That's midwives. Two midwives. Wow. Yes. The important that is, a is that great thing. Go ahead. It's wonderful. And what was nearby was the full-service maternity unit that if had she gone into a complication, they would not have had to transport her down roads, but she could have gone locally from the birthing center to a competent full-service maternity unit that could handle that complication safely. Right, right. Right. So that, that, is, that is one of the key features of the things that I've read about birthing centers is that they really have to be in a situation where they're, uh, you know, and then where they're close to a hospital. So in case there is an unexpected situation, uh, they're, they're absolutely able to uh, go ahead and, uh, you know, get the services of the hospital. Mm -hmm. And that is actually the case also in Danbury, where they do have a, a birthing center. So, and, and again, I don't know how much time it would take to build one here, to fund it, to have it independent of the hospital, and to have it uh, really built by the community. And speaking of that, our Wyndham Hospital was built in uh, between uh, uh, 1931 and 1933 during yeah. the Depression, but from community yep. funds that were raised from everyday people, chipped in and built a hospital. Um, yeah. We just celebrated the 90th anniversary of the first birth at Wyndham Hospital. Mm -hmm. The woman's name, Edna Guile. That was a wonderful celebration yes. and a great press conference that we had. Yes, we did. Uh, very, very good and uh, excellent, excellent. Uh, April 25th, 1933, Edna Guile gave birth. There was one birth at Wyndham That's Hospital. Right. And no one said it was not enough births, and she wasn't sent down a road, and she wasn't put in a carriage to take away. She was allowed mm -hmm. to stay and recoup there. The following day, eight women were transferred from St. Joseph Hospital in Willimantic to join her, so there were nine women the next day in that maternity unit. Uh, we had, in 2010, 428 births at Wyndham Hospital, and we were told that enhanced services close to home would be provided by Hartford HealthCare. And we saw a system of that not being honored, and then piece by piece the support services for healthy local births were taken away. Uh -huh. In 2015, the ICU was closed. Um, that's right. Yep. And that's, uh, when we, that's, that's right. a, at the point that they did that, we worked to create the Office of Healthcare Strategy to try and make sure that that couldn't happen again. That's correct. And so um, when the announcement that it closed, they kept saying it was not safe. Well, how can it be safe if services are taken out of the hospital first? 
Right. Safety has been for over 80 years, 85 years or so at Wyndham Hospital through the depression, through the world wars, through waves of immigration, that hospital has been a haven of safety. And women have gone there from the area, even from Norwich to come up to deliver there because of the care and the safety and the support services that were there. So um, we know what works. <laughs> we yes, know it works we in a community hospital. We're asking for that restoration today for mothers um, like Edna Guile and for the mothers who are pregnant now and for the mothers uh, who are going to be pregnant in the days ahead, uh, that they have a local safe birthing center here. Wanted to talk a little bit about the second woman we're going to be talking about today, and that her name is Anna Jarvis, and I hadn't heard about her. Me either, but I looked at that as well, and I'm so glad that you looked up Anna Jarvis. <laughs> That's great. These are our women heroes. Let's see. Our heroines. Let's see. The official Mother's Day holiday came in the 1900s as a result of one woman, Anna Jarvis, and she was the daughter of Anne Jar Reeves Jarvis. Her mother passed in 1905, and she thought of Mother's Day as a way of honoring the sacrifice her mother made for her. Now, um, Anna Jarvis never had children. Really? I didn't know. She remained without children her lifetime, but she fought for the right for daughters to honor their mothers. I think it's a really interesting look at this. Uh, there have been efforts to organize things for Mother's Day on smaller levels in small communities since before the Civil War, but it was Anna Jarvis's unflinching uh, effort to keep this going. Um, and she organized uh, the first uh, celebration in her church in West Virginia. Uh, she remained unmarried and childless her whole life. She resolved to see the holiday added to the national calendar. By 1912, many states, towns, and faith communities had adopted Mother's Day as an annual holiday, and she established Mother's Day International Association to help promote her cause. In 1914, President Woodrow Wilson signed a measure officially establishing the second Sunday in May as Mother's Day. So it took her from her mom passing in 1905 to 1914. She worked nine years to do that. Talk about dedication of a daughter. I t exactly. And look at the time frame. It, it didn't seem like, you know, sometimes things take years longer than that. And that's a national thing that happened. That was amazing work that she was able to do that. And that, that quick amount of time, really, nine years is not that long. The inspiration. The inspiration. Um, I'm going to take, take a mo uh, moment, Sue, to read down the 13 organizations that are part of our coalition, Windham United oh, to Save Our Health Care. That would be wonderful. Thank you. You're welcome. Again, this is not one person. This is not one group. This is 13 organizations that uh, gathered together during the pandemic, masked and uh, separated by space, and emailing and Zooming information. Mm -hmm and meeting women on the street and seeing the tears and the distress of women who had lost a vital service in town. And the organizations are AFT of Connecticut, the American Federation of Teachers, the Connecticut Citizen Action Group, Hartford Organization of Professional Employees Union, Generations Family Healthcare, NARAL Pro-Choice Connecticut, Northeast Connecticut Grassroots Group, 
Planned Parenthood Connecticut and Rhode Island, Mm -hmm. Quiet Corner Shouts, The Neighbor Fund, Mm -hmm. Universal Healthcare Foundation of Connecticut, Vota Barica, We the People of Willimantic, and the Wyndham Willimantic chapter of the NAACP. Wow. There's a lot of great people and Absolutely. a lot of great organizations that are working so hard for for making sure that access to uh, health care for women, women um, who are uh, pregnant and are going to have babies, uh, make sure that they have the kind of services and access to care that they should have. And, uh, and that's a lot of groups and it's a lot of great people who are working to try and revive and make sure we have that. And I'm, I'm thinking also that maybe we can work to, work, you know, get our federally qualified health center uh, to um, maybe help us out too, uh, and see what kind of we need some more research perhaps uh, to see if we can get them to help us out with a birthing center as well. I but think I think it might be something that we could work on with this wonderful group that we have. I think so too. Uh, we've also made a link with the people that have been working with Day Kimball Hospital. Uh, they uh, have their maternity unit, but the Covenant Health Care that now has walked away from them uh, was going to take away contraceptions, uh, tubal yes. ligations, reproductive right. choices. Uh, to, uh, so um, the community there, uh, inspired by the Willimantic group organized there, saved Day Campbell yeah. Hospital, and they were able to uh, preserve their hospital with its services. So mm-hmm. I, I think um, courage and social action to save the uh, health care options for our community um, is something that is very doable. Um, yes. And uh, our community knows best. I mean, we created a community hospital during a depression where there wasn't right. a whole lot of money and people chipped in to build that yes, hospital. They did. I have to say also about the issue with uh, the, the killingly uh, uh, Day Kimball hospital, uh, the legislature and the Senator Flexer was involved in making sure that the state understood uh, when we went to the office of healthcare strategy on that, that by not doing tubal ligations, especially in circumstances where there's a, risk pregnancy if they don't do the uh, tubal ligation in the future, uh, that this would be something that, first of all, they're not willing to tell the woman that she's at risk for getting pregnant again, <laughs> which is really, that is that doesn't sound like medical care at all to me. It sounds no, like a no. religious situation. And then uh, not telling you, and then, uh, oh, or maybe they would send you to a different hospital for the tubal ligation, and if you're on Medicaid, well, then you have to have Medicaid pay for two hospital stays. So we made a lot of different arguments about that to the state through the Office of Healthcare Strategy, and we also included the Department of Social Services on that because that is just not that's not a functional way to operate a healthcare facility. Uh, there's one other factor, and that's the environmental factor. When we use helicopters and ambulances to go long distances, we mm-hmm. are creating gas emissions. Right, We're hurting our that's ozone nice. layer. Yes, yes, and that's a very expensive way to address these situations. So I'm, I'm thinking that the birthing centers are, will be good as long as they're close by and the hospital is working with people uh, that uh, may need additional assistance. 
So it has to be a coordinated effort, and I'm hoping that we still have not gotten a, um, a response by the Office of Healthcare Strategy uh, to to what they're going to do with Wyndham Hospital for shutting down the maternity, uh, uh, you know, and delivery sections of the hospital. So hopefully, what we'll be able to do is continue to push forward and hope that they uh, are able to come to the right decision to make sure the access is there, the birthing center is there. We have that sort of uh, access, and I think that that's that's a fairly good solution. Certainly, is better than having the baby on the side of the road, which has happened more than once now. Absolutely. Uh, we have the story of a woman who uh, delivered a preemie uh, on the side of the road about 10 minutes outside the hospital, and they continued to back his hospital with her and the premature baby, and they did not have a, um, a uh, critical care unit there for babies, a NICU rather, and so they put her and the uh, premature infant on a helicopter to go to New Britain. Wow. Wow. We talk about stress and strain on a mother and an infant. I can't even imagine. And that was uh, a woman of color with higher maternal yes. death rate risk. Correct. So, well, that's uh, there's so many different factors to consider and so much uh, prenatal care that has to be done. And, uh, you know, just making sure we take care of all the people. And uh, that includes women who are having children. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Uh, <laughs> other services are elective. You know, you can decide, you know, I'm not going to have that <laughs> surgery done now. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe it's elective. You know, maybe I can have something else done. But when a baby's being born, it's not a choice and it's not <laughs> baby no. is coming. And, and it's not like you can you can just say, oh, well. Yeah. Uh, it's like, it's not like a, uh, you know, a, a knee transplant, a knee surgery or something. It's not like you can plan it. It's just like you said. These are things that uh, I don't think, unless you had a baby, you don't really understand that you don't know when the baby will actually come. And uh, and so to have that, uh, that suspense, and the baby could come at any time and or with any complication, is something that, you know, has to be a uh, consideration uh, when we make health care policy. It's not, and I think that we've had uh, too many um, male administrators of hospitals making some of these decisions, and uh, haven't they haven't had babies, so no understanding of what you go through. Good point, Susan. Um, we are going on our third year of... Uh not having a decision by the Office of Health Strategy. And um, in the summer of last year, they decided that uh, the majority of the state's criteria for whether a maternity unit could be closed were not met. Right. Yeah. So I don't think those repairs have been done. Um, Well, I mean, one of the things that they didn't even talk about was the cost to the town of Wyndham because... The town of Wyndham has incurred additional costs with ambulance services and that sort of thing that hadn't been addressed. And one of the standards in that's required under the statute and regulations is that they uh, make it they they inform the Office of Healthcare Strategy of additional costs that will be transferred to other entities. And one of the entities is the town of Wyndham. Another. Uh, emergency medical services, uh, even not even the town of Wyndham and other towns. Uh, you have the transfer of the costs 
and they never even mentioned the transfer of the cost of emergency medical services. I I I hear you, and I I, I saw that Wyndham Hospital got an A grade rating from the Leapfrog Group. Uh, yeah, that they have an excellence rating, but mm-hmm. I don't think they saw the context of that. I think that they looked more, and I looked at that article in the Chronicle too. And I don't think that they were considering um, the maternity and delivery. They were considering, I think, inpatient services, the the services that are in existence today, not necessarily what they've cut out. And that was my interpretation, the quick look at the article that I had. Mm. And, you know, of course, uh, not mentioning the fact that they have have eliminated the emergency services, uh, the, you know, the intensive care unit, not mentioning the fact that they eliminated uh, maternity delivery services. All these things were not mentioned in the article. So they, they, I think they just looked at, uh, they were looking at some of it was infection rates of people who actually were in the hospital. So mm-hmm. those kinds of things were. And, the, and I'm glad for the there. sanitary yeah. conditions there and that people are not getting infections. I mean, that's a win for our community, but at a, terrible cost of loss. Well, yes. Yeah, I'm not, I don't think it's a either or, do you? I mean... No. Nah. <laughs> I no. think it's probably something We that... celebrate the good and <laughs> what's yes. missing we also note also. Um, so um, I'm just going to go over the values of Hartford Healthcare. Caring. Yes. Equity. Yes. Excellence. Integrity and safety. Yep. And those are things that are good in, in so many ways, but eliminating half the population's possibility of having a child is is not uh, not a good thing. No, no. And, and again, adding to our distress, I have a feeling that in 2023, we may have that uh, most distressed municipality a second year. Well, I mean, we've had that for a long time. Uh, that is because... There has been a lot of, uh, you know, we ha- we're very small. We're cut off uh, from the highway systems, and the rail systems have been shut down for years now. So we do have some freight rail going through, but we don't have passenger rail. And, uh, and it's going to take uh, more in the way of uh, manufacturing uh, and and that and economic development in order to change the status. In the meantime, we have to look at you know, where we are, and we've received a lot more in the way of state funding based on the fact that we have this, this the, the most distressed uh, municipality. And even so, even though we're the most distressed municipality, what we do for the region is far more than what uh, the region does for anybody else. We, we uh, host state um, buildings, we host a hospital, we host uh, nonprofits. We host homeless shelters. We host all of these uh, more public housing on a per capita basis than anywhere else except Hartford. We have all kinds of services, and um, and we get limited reimbursement from our from the taxes because the property taxes primarily are not uh, are not applied to service organizations. So uh, there has to be more. More in the way of um, addressing that, but that's primarily because we serve, we we take care of everybody, and people just kind of ignore the fact that we're providing all these services, 
at a limited cost, and everybody else goes about their merry way in the other surrounding towns, not really thinking about how much we do for them, how much we do for the state. It's a lot to think about. Yep. <laughs> well, we got to start thinking about it because it's yeah. not—it's not getting any better, and I it's know. not like it's just happening to Wyndham. It's happening to Hartford, New Haven, Waterbury, Bridgeport, all the towns that serve, all the towns that provide, all the towns that don't get any money. Uh, Hartford, for example, subsidi- is subsidizing the region uh, with any payment in lieu of taxes, which only gets reimbursed at about 77%, like you know what we have for the hospital and the university and so on. Mm. But Hartford has, subsidizes uh, their town without any subsidy at all, to the tune of $101 million. They don't get anything for the tax-free property uh, that they have there, uh, and that's $101 million. All the towns, uh, when you look at them in that situation, the whole state of Connecticut, uh, it's $1.1 billion that we subsidize the, their, the regions and the small towns uh, it's the tune, and we don't ever talk about the subsidies that we give to the towns around us. And then, of course, there's the special education situation. And uh, the towns have been providing uh, the, you know, the, the pretty much all the costs providing for all the kids with special needs. And many of the kids with special needs are kids that are traumatized by low-income households. They're traumatized. Uh, by homelessness, and where are our homeless shelters? In towns like Wyndham, Harper, New Haven, Waterbury, Bridgeport, New London. So, um, you know, again, we subsidize all those things that nobody else takes care of, and we get we don't get the resources we should be getting. So we're going to have to start campaigning and let people know what we're doing. Otherwise, we'll continue to be distressed. Yes, indeed. Uh, to your list of uh, the deficits there, I would put uh, babies that are born under duress, under yes. unsafe childbirth options, mm-hmm. um, without extended family nearby, uh, uh, stress for the mother and all of that. Also affects um, um, health care and the quality of the child's life. So um, that's in that mix. Yes, yes. I think that those are all important and they're all the things that we do work to try and subsidize through uh, social service programs through the medicaid program uh you know we do work at that but again most of the work that we do and most of it's paid for uh and by the local communities and the state wow um would you like a walk through the decades about childbirth practices Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, let's see. In the 1900s, most babies were born at home, about 95% yes. of them. And mm-hmm. most of those births were attended by midwives. Yes. Right. Of course, we also had a higher death rate of women mm-hmm, giving mm-hmm, birth. Mm-hmm. In 1908, the American Red Cross began to offer formal childbirth education for the public. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. In the 1920s, Births were moved from home to hospitals for those that could afford it and those who would like medication during childbirth. In the 1930s, births became about 50-50 between hospitals and home, and the number of births attended by midwives drops to 15%. So from 90% to 15%. 
in 30 years. In the 1940s, women labored in large maternity wards where they were told to keep quiet, give birth alone in sterile delivery rooms, mm -hmm. kept in the hospital for about 10 days, and not allowed to get out of bed. Mm. Mothers were separated from their babies to prevent infection. In the 1950s, 95% of women gave birth in the hospital and treated as a high-risk experience. 1956, the first La Leche League meeting, as breast rates are an all-time low in the 1950s. In the 1960s, during labor, food or anything by mouth is no longer allowed and the International Childbirth Education Association was founded. 1970s, the fathers were finally allowed in the delivery room, and continuous fetal monitoring was introduced. 1977, Spiritual Midwifery book by Ina Gaskin was published. By 1979, 99% of all births took place in hospitals. Yeah. 1980s, the effective support of companion on uh, length of labor and mother-infant infection was published and included the term doula in the 1980s. 1990s, there was a childbirth summit and a coalition to improve maternity services. Sounds good in the 1990s. Our vag VBAC, or vaginal birth after cesarean, increased from 12.6% to 28.3%. 1992, the Doulas of North America was formed and started a certifying doula for labor support program. In the 2000s, the World Health Organization encouraged support of keeping the baby with the mother after birth to support skin-to-skin -skin contact and the immediate breastfeeding. Um, the VBAC safety is questioned and the rates plummet again more C-sections, fewer VBACs. Hmm. Many hospitals refuse to allow women the normal biological process of giving birth after a previous surgical delivery. Many women start seeking out alternative or midwife-assisted birthing options, such as birth center or home birth, in response to the rapidly increasing intervention use in C-section rates. So you get to see, it kind of goes full circle. We go from home births to again seeking home births with extra supports and um, hospitals and birthing centers nearby. Yes, and I, I think that's an excellent point because that's something that I've thought about a lot. And uh, you know, having the having us go back to home births are really uh, a big problem um, in some ways because culturally we've developed this dependency on the hospital system. But you can see that they're everywhere you look. Uh, you know, they're trying to remove uh, institutional care uh, and put people back in the homes. And you see that a lot in senior citizens' care as well. Uh, so that is um, where you see that. You see everybody moving back into the home for home care. And I don't know as though we're, we don't really have the facilities or the wherewithal to do everything in the home. I mean, we emptied out our behavioral health facilities, and now everybody's living on the river 
and in the streets. So, um, and I'm concerned about the movement towards um, having people moved out of nursing facilities. Many do very well because they have supportive families and they have enough home care. But a lot of people don't have that. And there, there again, we are running into seeing more and more homeless senior citizens with, with problems. So uh, by having the, the lack of support from uh, payment through the uh, insurance industry, lack of payment through the Medicaid programs, and also through Medicare, is really pushing things back into the home. And while it's good in so many ways, it's not fully vetted, in my own opinion. Um, there are a couple other events that have happened this year. Um, January this year was the end of a year-long study called the Stretch Initiative, uh, which was a federally appointed list of 10 states to look at public health and streamlining services so that communities could be more equitably served. Uh, yeah. Connecticut was one of those states. Yes. There were all kinds of reports and experts and collaboration on that. Um, and uh, we, this is right, very much supportive of our efforts to restore Wyndham Hospital to serve our community more fully and to bring childbirth and families with childbirth, back to our community. Mm. Um, yeah, uh, that's good. That's good. Yeah, I uh, was on the right. certificate of need committee for Wonderful. the state of Connecticut for five months, and we talked about cost effectiveness of services. We talked about when does it make sense to consolidate? When does it make sense to endow and rebuild? and some of the health inequity situations that um, exist. In Connecticut, we have lost over 30 community hospitals have been closed. Um, the impact on remote and rural families, including farming families that feed our state, um, some of the back roads, but we have uh, difficult winters, those roads are not travelable, and where right. do those people give birth? Mm -hmm. That's our situation. Mm -hmm. And it's also Sharon Hospital in the west northwest corner. Yes. And of course, there's Johnson and Memorial Hospital as well. Mm -hmm. All of them are in the process of trying to uh, eliminate maternity and delivery services in, those north, in, the, in the northern part of the state of Connecticut. So, all the way through from the northeast is the northwest. Yes. Um, actually, across the country, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of maternity units that are closing in smaller hospitals. Mm -hmm. And these uh, larger corporations that are buying them out and managing them are figuring they can save money by not maintaining them uh, and have these plans that it doesn't matter if the women are transported far away. Uh, and sometimes in some of those states, like Texas, like some of the larger states down south, it could be hundreds of miles to the nearest OBGYN, let alone mm -hmm. the, the nearest maternity unit. And that's what brings people back to having the baby at home. Yep. Or, or back in the day, too, people would spend a month or so before they had the baby close to the hospital. If they could afford it. 
Well, I mean, you have a friend there. Yeah, if you can afford it. But uh, in those areas. But we don't have the, that's kind of like the rural area, um, you know, type of uh, culture. And um, so if you have a huge rural state, a lot of the times people will have a family or a friend or they'll rent a place for a month uh, before the babies do and stay close to the hospital. I know it's not anything we do in Connecticut, but <laughs> it's just my travels have, uh, uh, have, have demonstrated that. And in fact, a lot of that's exactly what happened when my mother was pregnant with me. She went and stayed with a friend. She uh-huh. was in rural Maine before. So she stayed with a friend for about a month before she went into the hospital. Many of our families don't have their own transportation. Right. Uh, they have younger children at home. They can't necessarily go away for a month. There's no one to take care of the children at home. Well, I'm just saying, that's how absurd it's going to be. It's not doable. <laughs> it's not doable. <laughs> it's, it's not. Um, this is a call to health care equity, and there should yes. not be uh, racial or cultural differences in risk of death to the mother or, mm-hmm. or infant or complications of that. The C-section rates should not be as high as they are. Um, That's right. uh, And we haven't been studying the postpartum rate, but I'm understanding that since 2020, the postpartum rate has gone from one out of every eight women to one out of every five. So Mm. it has raised um, because of the stressors, because of health care concerns, because of uh, isolation, because of... um, a lot of risk factors. Yeah. Um, yeah. And why the rate of closing uh, uh, rural maternity units happens during a pandemic, I don't understand. I don't understand why an ICU is not reopened during a pandemic when right. life, when life right. is on the line. Yep. Absolutely. Um, it doesn't make any sense at all to no. keep the ICU closed, but they they made that decision because they're that is the problem with consolidations and with uh, the, you know, monopolization of healthcare. Because as we know, uh, almost all the hospitals, except for UConn Medical Center and the VA uh, Medical uh, Center in West Haven, are the only two public hospitals. The rest are all private nonprofits but or private for profits. Yeah. So. Sue, it sounded so good in 2010 when they said they were coming in as a partner, they were going to enhance our services and keep them close to home. That was the promise. That was the promise. And we believed them and we held them to their word. And that meeting, I'll never forget, with 2015 with the ICU, the community went out in force. And story after story of people whose lives were saved by the ICU uh, who those precious moments of being taken by an ambulance or a fire department to the ICU uh, mm-hmm. were able to have the health care to, to survive. Exactly. And what would they do without an ICU? Uh, that right. year of 2020 without a vaccine was absolutely frightening. Yes, yes. It was horrible. And I can't even imagine being pregnant during that horrible time. They're, find, was, they're finding out that pregnant women during the pandemic were at higher risk for complications. Of course. Yeah, we had no, uh, 
been no a maternity and delivery system in Lomana yep. that time. Yep. Except for, you know, if they happened in So uh I I uh, speak for my three births at Wyndham Hospital, three safe, local, and well-cared-for births that survived here at Wyndham Hospital, and my grandchild now in California that uh, was lovingly cared for by a birthing center within a short drive mm -hmm. to a full-serviced hospital. Um, yeah. Uh, the, the amount of stress on my daughter-in-law was minimal, and... Uh, the support and the uh, um, two midwives working on with her and uh, uh, our son able to be in the room with her and um, very nice it, yeah I think that they're going to be a good opportunity I really do I just think that they have to we can't just say oh we're just going to have birthing centers and you have to have it connected no, to a hospital no. somehow it has to be connected to a hospital so um, you know that's how it's going to have to be and even it, so we have to have that kind of thing. Yes, um, social justice and healthcare justice doesn't sleep. Um, oh. As long as there is injustice and uh, services taken from this community, our coalition will be dedicated to uh, proclamations and speaking and writing mm -hmm. and um, carrying the message that our community is deserving a full and local maternity unit mm -hmm. and local and competent um, caregivers. Right, right. Inclusion of I family mean, and support. We have a, we're, we're, mm -hmm. That's right. I think that this is, uh, that's how we have our civilized society. That's how we have our community. And we start dismantling our civilized society, our, our, um, our situations for women and children, uh, which make up our community. Uh, that is, uh, you know, really something that uh, dismantles our community. And we have enough trouble keeping uh, the uh, uh, keeping our, you know, our, our news organizations. And we thank goodness for WILI because yes. they're our local radio station. And they are, and we are able to produce local radio shows, and uh, we are able to uh, make sure that the community learns about these things and really learn about what's going on uh, with our our hospitals, our community and delivery services, and all of the things that make a good community. Sue, we got about two minutes. All right. Well. Brenda, I can't thank you enough for doing the show on Mother's Day. It has been it's an been honor. fabulous to have you uh, there. I, I wanted to also talk about two events coming up in our community. Uh, on Monday at 11 o'clock in stores, there will be a rural health summit. I will be speaking there with four members of our coalition, and we will carry our proclamation I'm that sorry, day. I didn't hear what you said. On Monday the 15th, Right after Mother's Day, 11 o'clock at Yukon Stores, there will be a Rural Health Summit. And four of our coalition will be there that day. On Saturday, May 20th at 1 o'clock, 
Willimantic in Memorial Park will have a end the hate rally across the state. So um, these are two events. They're linked together. Again, uh, access to local and safe childbirth is a civil rights issue given the demographics of our community. Women of color are uh, uh, disproportionately um, affected by this. Thank you so much for uh, welcoming me to the show and for Matt at the, the desk here at WILI. Um, we are proud to be here tonight and to honor the mothers as daughters, as mothers, as grandmothers, as aunts, <laughs> as sisters. Exactly. Yes, indeed. Well, yes. I just have to say happy Mother's Day to all, and happy Mother's Day to you, Brenda Bookbinder. Thank you for your amazing work uh, working to make sure women have access to good maternity health care all throughout the East Northeastern region. Thank you so much for everything for us. Thank you, too. Happy Mother's Day, Sue. Take care.